Hello, I'm Everett Wall, and you're listening to My Street Journal, a not-so-weekly news podcast that gives you the top stories days, weeks, months after they break. Coming up, Putin defends Russia's invasion of Ukraine, claiming he just wants to make sure they remain neutral. And later, InfoWars host Alex Jones defends Sandy Hook trutherism by claiming it was conceptual satire. Stay with us. Wall Street Journal is brought to you by U.S. Tooth Fairies, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Every year, thousands of children are born without full sets of teeth. Whether it be one or several, these children are inherently disadvantaged when it comes to the tooth fairy. One less tooth means one less quarter under pillows all across America. U.S. Tooth Fairies solves this problem by taking the teeth generously donated by heroin and methamphetamine addicts and providing them to needy children. Russia has launched an all-out invasion of its neighbor to the southeast, Ukraine, firing artillery and missiles and sending in troops across the country's borders. What was initially assumed to be a plan to annex the Donbass region, similar to Russia's annexation of Crimea in 2014, was in fact revealed to be a greater attack. Russian President Vladimir Putin recently spoke to a group of state reporters to defend the invasion, citing peace as the main motivator. We need to get in there and take everything over so we can have peace. People will die, this is true, but people die all the time of stuff like cancer. And nobody shouts, oh, cancer is invading Ukraine, it's World War III. The single Associated Press reporter not associated with the Russian state media was allowed to ask the president a few follow-up questions about the desire for peace, specifically, peace from what? Simple. Neo-Nazis. There's been a huge rise in neo-Nazism in Ukraine recently, so we're getting in there and stomping it out. If we happen to stomp out some other stuff, that can't be avoided. All the foreign powers telling me to stop, like the United States and NATO, by not supporting me, they're directly supporting the Ukrainian neo-Nazis. And apparently, these guys love neo-Nazis. The president continued, even going as far as to imply that Ukraine never deserved independent statehood in the first place. It's not that big of a deal. When I said we were going into the Donbass region, I said that those were just statelets, not even real states, so it didn't really count. That's still true. But then I did a little thinking. Is Ukraine even really a state, or is it more of a puppet of the West? This invasion is likely to have vast implications affecting the region and the world for years to come. Despite starting a full-out war on another country, President Putin is already beginning to deny the severity of the events. It's really not that bad. And what's the deal with calling it an invasion? That's such a harsh word. Who even says there was an invasion to begin with? CNN? Oh, so now we're supposed to trust the fake and biased liberal media? Alex Jones and his company Free Speech Systems, host of the alt-right commentary website InfoWars, are officially responsible for damages to the parents of the children killed in the 2012 Sandy Hook school shooting. Because of Jones' fervent insistence that the mass shooting was a false flag operation, a jury will soon convene to determine just how much his company owes the families of the tragedy. In court, Jones claimed that his rhetoric when speaking on his show was a form of highbrow conceptual satire that the parents of the murdered children he was insulting just didn't understand. Now, when I look into the camera and I tell my audience that Sandy Hook is a gigantic hoax carried out by crisis actors, that's clearly satire. You'd have to be intentionally misconstruing me not to recognize the sarcasm in my voice during that quote. Here, I'll show you. To the listener at home. Sandy Hook was a gigantic hoax carried out by crisis actors. To the brave patriots and freedom fighters watching this clip after the deposition, this is not satire. I mean every word that I say, 
Again, this is not satire. See? This is clearly satire. Jones later defended his words by saying that they were brought on by a form of psychosis, only treatable by his company's supplement, Brain Force. In a written statement, Jones claimed that, quote, At the time, I was not taking Brain Force for my psychosis because one tablet contained 4,000% of the daily recommended dosage of potassium. But then I realized that the nutritional facts the FDA globalists forced us to put on the side of the bottle were meant for beta cucks. I, of course, am an alpha. But the judge in the case hadn't ruled on whether or not Jones was in an unstable condition when the comments were made, nor did the ruling regard possible satire. Instead, the verdict came down after Jones and his lawyers refused to comply by providing the court with necessary information about InfoWars site traffic numbers. The data would make clear exactly how many people were exposed to Jones' claims, but by not disclosing the information, he was held in contempt of court despite his lawyers' protestations. You can't expect to see this case about InfoWars and not have to fight for our information. It's literally in the name. Now, pick your weapon, but be warned, Alex Jones is highly skilled in sword fighting and hand-to-hand -hand combat. Coming up, the killers of Ahmaud Arbery close out their federal hate crime trial with the argument, please find us not guilty, please. And later, Alabama uses COVID relief funding to build new prisons. Stay with us. Wall Street Journal is brought to you by Cheese, the musical, a bluegrass jukebox and folk opera driving Broadway insane. Here a sneak preview of the show-stopping ballad Camembert, performed by Julius James Rucker Sr. Oh my darling, oh my darling, oh my darling, Camembert. Listen to the show that critics are calling barely comprehensible. Get tickets now at cheeseshow.com. Greg and Travis McMichael, father and son, as well as friend Roddy Bryan, have already been found guilty of felony murder for the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, but they were also recently convicted of federal hate crimes, profiling and targeting Arbery because he was black. The verdict was somewhat of an inevitability, based on the defense attorney's minimal presentation of evidence and argument. The prosecution called over 20 witnesses, all speaking to the fact that they had seen the men discriminating against black people and expressing white supremacist and racist views outwardly. The defense was able to find just one neighbor who attested to a single incident that she could remember the McMichaels not being racist. There's a little bridge on the far side of town, the overpass. Sometimes we get homeless people sleeping under there. Once I was talking to Greg and he brought up another homeless guy that had been sleeping under there. He was really angry and hateful about it, calling the guy all kinds of names. But that homeless guy was white. I guess that shows that Greg wasn't hateful towards black people. He was just hateful towards poor people. I think it's entirely possible that Greg didn't see Arbery's face or skin color. He just saw that he was wearing poor people clothes and got all red-faced. And, you know, that happens to the best of us. To rebut, the prosecution played a recording of Greg McMichaels calling 911 on the homeless man, describing him as, quote, looking like an N-word lover. In the closing arguments, the prosecution went over their carefully constructed case against the McMichaels and Brian, recounting the testimony of each of their 20 witnesses. The defense then asked the jury to find the men not guilty. The specific words used by the defense attorney were, Pwitty please. Uh, what is a hate crime, even? Aren't all crimes inherently hateful? Is that a reference to the office? Sure, but I have another reference I'd like to bring up. The man who wasn't there. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, have you ever heard of the uncertainty principle? The state of Alabama is being harshly criticized for electing to use its COVID relief funds from the federal government to build new prisons. In addition to the new facilities, several existing prisons will be repaired and maintained. 
A spokesperson for the state GOP defended the decision in a press conference recently. It's the right thing to do. These prisons are falling in on themselves. We're lucky to get this money now, and it's particularly needed for our shoddy prison industrial complex. The timing couldn't be more perfect. It should be noted that Alabama is still the number one state in the country when it comes to coronavirus death rates. Discussion of COVID during the COVID relief funding debate was notably absent. But maintaining prisons wasn't the only reason the Republicans supported pouring the money into building new facilities. They also supported it by claiming it would create a bevy of new jobs, another problem facing the state. It's a job creator. There's no two ways about it. But it doesn't create jobs on its own. It needs to be paired with harsher sentencing for minor crimes. More people in more prisons means more prison guards are needed. That's literally both definitions of the term job security. And the best part is, it wouldn't add to our state's debt or require us to raise taxes. The money's right there. We can pay for these renovations in cash. Like previous attempts at prison reform, there'll be no interest. But still, citizens within the state aren't too sure. Communities desperately need help during this unprecedented time, and instead, they feel as though the money is only going to something tangentially related to the issue at hand. True, prisons are in dire need of support when it comes to preventing the spread of COVID-19 within their walls, but Republican lawmakers claiming that this measure is additionally meant to tackle all deteriorating prison conditions is ludicrous. Now, some are arguing that new coats of paint won't solve management deficiencies, corruption, guard on prisoner violence, illicit drug use, or sexual abuse, but we won't really know that for sure until we try. Coming up, Amazon relaxes drug testing for employees, stating even those who fail drug tests deserve to be exploited. And later, conservative groups launch LGBTQ book banning campaign called Restricting Rainbow. Stay with us. Wall Street Journal is brought to you by a friend for Robert. Robert Weisenstein of Jackson, Wyoming is looking for a friend. If you want to be Robert's friend, reach out to him through his email, robert at yahoo.com. Note, must be a white heterosexual woman between the ages of 16 and 24 without a college degree weighing under 160 pounds, no taller than five foot three. Non-virgins need not apply. Robert, thank you for your generous donation to the program, but you are disgusting. Amazon is coming out in support of relaxed drug testing, dropping their required screenings for all positions save drivers. Workers or applicants previously fired for failing marijuana testings are now eligible for Amazon employment again. A spokesperson for the company explained their motivation behind the decision on a morning show recently. Fundamentally, the reason a gigantic company like Amazon was able to get behind this was, as the bottom line always is, the economy. We're hoping to entice potential employees with this. We're in a bit of a rut with our hiring process because of all the people quitting after realizing how Amazon exploits their labor. Those videos of people peeing in bottles really didn't help our image, but maybe this will. Amazon is done discriminating against those that imbibe in recreational marijuana. We're also hoping that people under the influence will be more likely to apply for a position at an Amazon warehouse because of their impaired judgment. Amazon had previously attempted to incentivize young workers with college tuition assistance, but quickly gave up on that. And now, like the college dropouts they're courting, they're turning to weed. But a labor shortage isn't the only reason that Amazon claims to support this move. The spokesperson continued about how the company is fully committing to equity. These drug screenings disproportionately affect communities of color. I'm not saying that to denigrate communities of color or anything. It's just a statistic. We are not racist. But the point is that Amazon is taking massive strides in courting workers from these communities. These underprivileged areas and demographics are the most easily exploitable groups of all. And right now, our company is seriously missing out. 
The representative continued explaining why Amazon was also advocating for federal legislation legalizing marijuana. We need these nonviolent drug offenders out of our prisons and into our warehouses and fulfillment centers. At the very least, these prisoners should still be allowed to purchase products on Amazon. Everyone has the fundamental right to be a consumer, and nothing should take that right away. The move came shortly after Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos met with Tesla founder Elon Musk and podcaster Joe Rogan. Sources say Bezos initially attempted to get Amazon board members to agree to support getting ivermectin recognized as a coronavirus vaccine, but later settled on the, quote, weed thingy. Several United States conservative groups are coming together to stand against literary materials they find unsuitable for children in schools. Unsurprisingly, the central targets are books regarding LGBTQ issues and critical race theory. The movement is spearheaded by two key collectives, Moms for Liberty and Moms Against Learning. Public schools are receiving hundreds of challenges to books found within their library systems from these angered parents. One of the primary targets is the novel Love, Simon, a young adult coming out story that was adapted into a motion picture in 2018. The groups are calling for Love, Simon to be replaced with Love, Simon the Leper, a reimagined version of the biblical story of Jesus Christ refusing to cure Simon's leprosy, instead getting a pedicure. But it isn't just LGBTQ literature that's being pulled. Critical race theory is also on the chopping block. A representative for the group Parents Defending Ignorance made her case on a public access religious broadcast recently. People are trying to say that there's a First Amendment issue here, but that just isn't the case. The Supreme Court has been very clear on this. You can't yell fire in a crowded theater, and you can't disseminate racy materials in a school. And that's just what these materials that discuss race and racism are. Racy. Books about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. have been pulled from school library shelves across the country and are being replaced with works like Tim Allen's autobiography, Don't Stand Too Close to a Naked Man, and Overcoming Adversity, a biography of Tim Allen. The bans are affecting every level of K-12 education and even some preschools. The Parents Defending Ignorance spokeswoman made a particular example out of a picture book she found uniquely abhorrent on that same broadcast. Woke Baby and it's all about a baby doing woke things. This is an infant child that's being indoctrinated, and this is why we have to assert our principles and values and replace woke baby with my debut, fiscally conservative baby. And spoiler, yes, he does wear trickle-down diapers. For more satire news, check out the Wall Street Journal Not-So-Daily blog on EverettWallRocks.com. I'm Everett Wall, and this was My Street Journal. Thank you for listening.